This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. I preached this message last Sunday night at uh, Victory Baptist Church in Hickory, and we're still getting our equipment organized and things, so the sound quality is going to be lacking, and I apologize for that, but I think it's an important message, so please listen carefully. Tonight I'm going to look at uh, uh, the mission of the church, and it's given to us in Matthew chapter 28, so you can turn there. We have a tendency, though, sometimes to think that we're building a church. And I can guarantee you, if we think we're building a church, we will fail. Listen to this, Psalms 127, uh, verse 1, it says, Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman uh, walketh but in vain. If we think we're building this church, we're wrong. It's not our building. Uh, The Bible doesn't just tell us what to do. It tells us how to do it. And we think that sometimes we're smarter than God. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our traditions, one that Tom mentioned tonight was was Sunday school. Sunday school is a Johnny-come-lately thing on, on the religious market, if you will. It's a good thing. It's nothing wrong with it. But the fact that this church is choosing to organize itself a little different is perfectly fine, and I think it has some good points to it. Over the next few weeks, like I say, I'm going to look at what we're trying to establish and what the Bible says about how we're supposed to do it. But tonight, I want to look at the mission of the church. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, and I'm sure all of you are familiar with this. Most of the time we start in verse 19, but something very important is in verse 18. And Jesus came um, and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Uh, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. By the way, just another little thing, it's not in my notes, but I thought about it as I read the word. It doesn't say always. It says always. Why? There's a reason for that. Because always is plural. And when you say always, you're talking about every way. When we're to be praying always, that means we should be praying in every part of our life. We should be praying in our church life, in our marriage life, in our family life, in our recreational life, in our work life, in all those ways, plural. But all way is singular. And what Jesus is telling us there is, I'm going to be with you from now all the way down this path to the end of the age. And I think it's very powerful realizing that little bit. That's, like I say, that's not my notes, but I do want to cover it. But I want to start out by looking at the important words in this passage. First word I want to look at is power. The Greek word is translated authority, jurisdiction, power, liberty, right, and strength. Uh, If you want to know what a word means, it's okay to look at the dictionary. But if you look at the Bible and see how it's translated other places, you'll find a lot of information on what it really means and meant at the time that it was used. But uh, if we try to build the church in our own power, we're going to fail. I appreciate the message this morning because talked about 
doing things God's way and in His power. And we need to realize it's His power. In uh, John chapter 15 and verse 5, it says, I am the vine, ye are the vine branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. We can't build a church. But Christ can build a church using us as tools. And that's what we're to be. We're, we're like the, well, when they wrote the Bible, they were the pen in the hand of God as he wrote. But we build a church, we're the masons, if you will, that are building, not masons in the Masonic Lodge, but masons that were building this building. And a church is a building. It's a building, it's not the physical building. We are the building. Those of us who are members of the church, we are the building. And, and we can't do that. But it says that if we'll abide in Him, that we will bring forth much fruit. Sometimes we have a tendency to think that that uh, uh, success is measured in things that God doesn't measure it in. You know, when we when we get to heaven and we see, I know it's not going to be this way, but just for the sake of the illustration, we get to heaven and we see the pastors lined up getting their rewards. And we're going to see the pastors, and I'm talking about the independent fundamental Bible-believing Baptist pastors. We'll see the liners for this guy. He built this big, humongous church. And he's going to get less reward than some other guy up there that had a church around 20 on a, on a good Sunday in some small town in Poto Hall. Because it's faithfulness to God's principles that gives us the reward. And so we need to realize that. But when we abide in him and him and us, and we can't do it without him, we need to remember who's building of Victory Baptist Church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're going to look next week at what the church is. But the church is a local assembly. There's no universal body and no universal church. It does not exist. It's not in the Bible. And we need to, uh, to realize that he's the builder. Well, the first word I want to look at is power. The second word I want to look at is teach. Now, the word teach is used twice in this passage, but it's not the same Greek word. It says teach here, and then later on it says teaching. It's not the same Greek word. It has slightly different meaning. Uh, now, of course, this is getting the gospel out, getting it out to every nation. That's why we need to be a missions-minded church also. The word here means to cause to become a pupil to cause somebody to become the pupil. It's not the end of the thing. It's the start of the thing. It's getting them in to where they're listening. It's the first step in, uh, step in making disciples. It's the first thing we have to do. That's why the second part of the commission baptizing is so important, because that's what brings them into the church. But, but it's to cause them to be a pupil. Uh, we are to proclaim the truth but it's up to them what they do with it. Sometimes we go out and we witness to somebody. As I don't like that term because witnessing means seeing something. Testifying to somebody is telling somebody what you saw. In uh, Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 32 and 34, it says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, now this is Paul preaching at Mars Hill, some mocked, others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from them, howbeit certain men plagued unto them and believed, among which was Dionysus, uh, the Arapagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. 
we see three classes of people, three different responses to the preaching of the Word of God. The first is some mock. And boy, are there a lot of those around today. Some mock to call themselves Christians. But there are the mockers. Then there are the procrastinators. Say, so, oh yeah, that sounds nice. I mean, uh, one time I was talking with my, my baby brother, and uh, he made a profession of faith, was baptized, and seemed to change his life, but then he married a lost girl who claimed to be a Christian. He's out of church, and I can't get him back in. But I was talking to him about this, and he says, I'm too busy putting beans on the table. But he was too busy doing that. But, but those are the procrastinators. And then there are the believers, those who accept it, believe it. And by the way, if you say you believe it and you don't do it, you don't believe it. So you have those three classes. The next word is nations. This includes the Gentiles, the heathen, every nation, and every people group on this globe. Probably, since New Testament times, the nation that's had the most to do with getting the gospel out to all nations is the United States of America. Britain did a good job for a while, too, although it wasn't so much Baptist as ours was. Uh, but it's, it's getting it out to every nation, and we need, need to get it out to every nation. You know, Abraham was promised to be a blessing to all nations. That blessing is the gospel. That's how he's a blessing to all nations. And I have in my office a plaque that we had an artist in our church when I was in France. And she made me this, it's got the Chinese symbol for come. And that Chinese symbol, I should have brought it with me to show you this, but I didn't know I was going to say this. But the Chinese symbol for come has a cross with a little tail on the bottom. It's a cross. And on the cross, it has a man. Now, every side of the cross, or each side of the cross, it has a smaller man. That symbol dates to the time of Abraham. That's a long time ago. The symbol with the cross, the great man on the cross, and the lesser man on either side. And the Bible says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. Isn't that interesting? He knew more than the Bible tells us he did. And so we need to understand it. But the gospel is that that uh, that thing. And as far as taking out to every nation, in Luke 24:47, it says, and that repentance and remission of sin be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Well, right now for us, Jerusalem is called Victory, North Carolina. But that's where you begin, and then you reach out. And, and it starts at home, and it reaches out to all the world. And if you want a mission, or a successful church that's less of God, be involved in missions. When I pastored Bellingham Baptist Church, which I'm now a member of again temporarily, <laughs> but when I pastored it, well, that was a mission-minded church. I have not seen a church like that anywhere else. Because when missionaries came home on furlough, our people would go up to the missionaries and they would talk to them about the things that had been in their prayer letters. Because every prayer letter was read to the church. Everyone, every evening service, Sunday evening and Wednesday evening, there was a prayer letter read, and if we got behind, we'd read more than one. And the, the missionaries were impressed. But in that church, um, I took the church, it was in Sashay. They had 49 members at the time and going this way. They had $4,000 in the bank and going this way. 
And the church kept going down in numbers till we hit 28 before we started going back again. But a year after I got there, and I don't preach on money very much, a year after I got there, instead of 4,000 in the bank, we had 11,000 in the bank. And we put new furnace, a new furnace in the building. It had an old ancient, uh, it had been an oil heater converted to gas. The combustion chamber was a tube about this big around, about this tall, and inside it had a tube on it. On top of that tube, it looked like a flying saucer with a bunch of holes in it. The gas came up through that flying saucer and lit, and more heat went up the chimney than did. It was right at that time when fuel prices went through the ceiling, and churches were finding themselves with $5,000 a month heating bills. Our heating bill, that weather stayed exactly the same as it was the winter before. We're faithful to our missions program. When I came, they were supporting 10 missionaries at $50 a month. And in the church, at that, you know, we were running 28 at that time. And by the way, they paid me a livable salary. They supported the missions, paid the mortgage, did all the things that we needed to do. Never wanted for money. We weren't flush, but never wanted for money. And we had no rich people in church. Just ordinary common people like us. God blessed it. And we reached a point where we had $12,000 in our missions account. And I want to emphasize this missions thing, because that's what our mission is, is missions. Uh, and we had $12,000 in our missions account. We said we shouldn't have that much uh, money in business accounts. So we started a program. We doubled the support to all of our missionaries, went to $100 a month, and started taking on new missionaries. And we got up to where we were taking, when I left, we were taking 20, oh, we were supporting 27, I think it was, missionaries at $100 a month. And of the 12,000 we had in the bank when we started doing that, we only had 22,000 left. We now had money to help with missions projects. When a missionary's car broke down, we could help them on that. When they needed a new car, we had that. Why? And the church just started growing. And I'm going to tell you why I left that church. I'm not an outreach person. A church needs an outreach program to grow. It really does. But that's not that's not what I do well. Uh, I, if I knock on doors, I get ulcers. And it's just I'm not that kind. And I knew they needed somebody else. The church was solid, doing things. And so we brought in uh, Josh Carter, uh, the brother of Tyler's old pastor, and thought that he's doing a fantastic job out there. Doing some things I wanted to do. I wanted to get another church started in Ferndale, which is about 10 miles north of Bellingham. But I just never was the right time. Guess what, Josh Carter? He got a church started in Ferndale. Make me rejoice. I'm not jealous because he did it. I rejoice because it got done. But anyway, missions is what it's all about. When you uh, read Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which you're all familiar with, it says, But ye shall receive power. There's that power of God. Uh, or Jesus there. After that, the Holy Ghost will come upon, come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, I'd like to point something out in here, because we get this wrong sometimes. We say this verse tells us to go out and do witness. That is not what it says. It says you are to be witnesses. If you are a witness, then you're called in to testify. 
What we're supposed to do is not go out and witness, although we call it witnessing, there's a lot of things we've changed the words on, but we're to go out and give a testimony for Christ. That's what evangelism is all about. But we have to be before we can do. I have a message I preach occasionally. I don't repeat messages very much, but I have a message I preach occasionally. It's called, it's called Be Comes Before Deed. Being comes before doing. And we have to be something. And, uh, you know, as we go out and do what we call witnessing, people will do it different ways. Some people I know just love to go out and knock on doors. And that's great. You don't find it in the Bible. But there's nothing wrong with it. You find them going out, but you don't find them just going out and knocking on doors like we do. There's nothing wrong with that. However, if you do it, you should go with, with two, not just one. But, uh, but that, some people will do it on their job, and they're witnessing there. Some will do it in their neighborhood as they, as they meet people. Some will do it in, in whatever comes into their life. You see, here's what it's all about. It's not about, okay, I'm going soul winning on Tuesday night or Thursday night, whatever the church does it, does it or on Saturday morning. That's not what it's about. That's about being a witness all the time. People should look at you and say, hey, there's something different about you. The Bible says we're supposed to be a peculiar people. We're supposed to be different. And part of that difference is, is getting out the testimony. Took more time on that one than I intended to. The next word I want to look at is baptizing. Now, I don't have to tell this group what baptism is, but baptism is the immersion of a believer in water to picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But it's more than that. It also represents, for the one who's baptized, death to the flesh and raised again to walk in newness of life. So it's something we ought, we should do. But I'm going to recommend this to Pastor Tom right now. <laughs> Nobody should be allowed to join this church without first reading and agreeing to the church covenant. Is that what they're supposed to be doing when they join? That means if, we're, if somebody gets saved, we'll baptize, say, okay, baptism brings you into this church. Here's what we believe. Do you want to be in this church? And that's what they should be done. And, I mean, we in Bellingham, we took and put the, the uh, church covenant in the cover of our, of our songbook so we could refer to it. And, that, and, and most people don't know what it is. In Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death. Like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So we go down in the water, we die to self. We identify with Christ in his death. We come out of the water, we're resurrected, and we identify with Christ. And it is a commitment to walk as a Christian ought to walk, to walk in newness of life. And that's what it means. It's, it's, uh, it's more than just an identification, it's also a commitment to godliness. Then we get to that word teach again. This time it's teaching. Teach, this word means causing the pupil to learn. Now, one of my favorite passages on that is in the Old Testament. It's Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. It says, So they read the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense 
and cause them to understand the reading. It must be preached distinctly. That means it must be rightly divided. It needs to be kept in context, uh, as I say in context plural, because you have the textual context, you have the historical context, the cultural context, the, 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 the context of what the book that you're reading is all about. All of those contexts need to be considered to keep it right and to understand the Word of God. And, and so it needs to be explained distinctly or rightly divided. It must be explained. We need to say, what does this mean? And that's what they did in Nehemiah's uh, day. And, and the goal is to get the people to understand what's preached. And I mean to really understand. You know, a lot of people have been in church all their lives, and they they, they, they can quote scripture, and they can do all of this type of stuff, but they really don't understand what it's all about. For example, what's salvation all about? Is salvation about getting us out of hell and sending us to hell? It does that, but is that what's it all Why did God work out a plan to save us? Not for our benefit, but for his benefit. We do benefit. The benefits are beyond anything we can imagine. But that's not what he did. The Bible tells us that he did it to show to the ages to come this kind of subversion. Just think about this. In the Godhead, before creation, you had God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Where was their need for mercy? Where was their need for grace? Had three perfect personalities, one God, I understand. There was no need for it. Yet God is a merciful, loving God. And the only way he could show that was by creating mankind, giving mankind a free will so they could sin, and he knew they would, so that they could sin. Didn't cause it, didn't want them to do it, or rather they hadn't done it, but knew they would, so that he could have a plan of redemption to show his kindness and his mercy. That's what salvation is about. It's not for us, it's for him. Not the benefits for us are out of this world. Literally. But but uh, that's what it's all about. And so we need to make sure they they understand it. And then the last part that I wanted to look at are the words of this, and this is taking longer than I thought it would, but, but uh, to observe all things. This word observe means to hold fast and put into practice. Take a hold of it and put it in practice. You know, you, you've got a, I got, I got a, cut down a tree. Okay. And I cut down that tree. I'm going to get my chainsaw. I love my chainsaw, but I don't have 40 cords. It's battery operated. It'll run for hard cutting about 15 minutes, which is about how long I will too. So, <laughs> and go out there and I cut down this tree. It's not a very big one, but the bigger round. But uh, I go out there and I hold that, that saw. What good is that? Until I put it into practice, like push those two buttons to turn it on and start to chop off the limbs and then cut off and cut it into pieces so I can hold up the road and sit and hold it away. Okay? That's the way it is with, with God's Word. It's a tool that we can use to do things, to improve our lives, to improve the lives of those around us, to bring people to Christ and, and uh, all the things it can do. In First uh, John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Hereby do we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. It means a lot of people don't know him and say they do. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
So if you say you believe the Bible and you don't know what the Bible says, there's something uh, really, really wrong. Yeah, I'm going to start bringing this in real quick with this next part, but I'd like to point out the Great Commission has three parts, not one. It's not all about souling. It's about getting them into church. That's baptism. It's about teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. We put all our emphasis on the souling. And the, the order that the, that the steps are given in here is important. But no step is more important than the other. We say, well, reaching the lost is most important. Yeah, but you know, if you reach the lost and then leave them like a baby out in a field somewhere, they're going to die. There'll be no fruit from that life. So you bring them into church where they can grow. I mean, uh, Tiffany's not ready to, to give us another great-grandson. And I, I know they're not going to just say, okay, he's born now, okay, go on and do it yourself. They're about to find out how much work it was raising them. <laughs> okay? But you have to raise them, so you need to bring them home to the house. That's the house of God, the church. Then you have to teach them how they're supposed to live. I hate it when people say, well, you know, we're not under law, we're under grace. Go back and look at the context. They're right. We're not under law for salvation, we're under grace. Guess what? Abraham wasn't under the law. Moses wasn't under the law for salvation. Because if we're not under the law anymore, then it's okay to commit murder and adultery and all that other stuff. So we're still under the law for the way we live our lives. Well, no one has ever been saved by the law. They've always been saved by God's grace through faith without motion. And it will be that way. Uh, uh, one guy I found this uh, was Peter Ruckman, who's he's right on the King James being the Word of God, but he's wrong on it being a re-inspiration of the Word of God. He's wrong on a lot of it. And he says, when the tribulation comes, if people go up in the rapture, he says, you better start working because then salvation will be well worth mm -hmm. Because then God will owe you. God will never owe us anything. We owe him everything. Um, so it's important that we teach all nations church will only grow if it reach out to, reaches out to a lost world. The church is not supposed to grow by bringing members in from other churches. That's not the way we're supposed to grow. In the beginning, oftentimes, the church will get people from other uh, churches. God will send them our way because we can help. But that's not the way you grow a church. You grow a church by getting lost and getting saved. That's the way it's supposed to be done. Or to baptize the converts. Like I said before, you don't leave a baby out there to fend by himself. A new Christian must be brought into the church that we taught how to grow. And then thirdly, we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever his commandments. All things. All things. That means everything. Like I say, the order of the parts is significant. You have to do them in order. But every part is important. Because if you don't do the baptizing, if you don't do the teaching all things, they will die spiritually. They won't die go to hell if they truly got saved. They won't do that. But they will not grow. They will produce no fruit. And the work of God will die and it will be over. And therefore, the first part, the evangelism, is gone. Not there. Besides that, why is it so hard to reach the lost world today? 
because there are so many people who claim to be Christians and are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. They don't practice what they say they believe. Our goal should not be just to start another church. It should be to be used of God to build a strong church that can stand in difficult times. And folks, we're going to see some difficult times. A church that will be a real lighthouse in the area. There's some names I like for churches. Victory's a good name. But there's some churches I like, or names I like too. I like Beacon or I like Lighthouse because those are what we're supposed to be. But Victory, we bring Victory, so it's a good name. Uh, I probably, if I was in that church, I'd probably name it Berean Baptist Church because that's what you do is be like the Bereans. But it doesn't matter. The name's not important. We're to be that lighthouse no matter what. We need to faithfully work all three parts of the Great Commission because that's the mission God has given to us. The order of the parts is important, but the parts are equally important. We must do them all, or the work of God will die. As we work, there's something we need to remember. As we work, we need to remember that His power, if we're faithful in His precepts, will be with us always, even to the end of the world. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.